0: Thank you, Deacon Henry, for your prayer. And This time I, I hear it, it's Pastor Sam Wong. I'm not mistaken. Thank you. <laughs> so last week... So last week I had the privilege to preach half of my favorite story in the Bible, which is the parable of the prodigal son. So today, I will attempt to finish it, and I emphasize the word Attempt. It's because this story does not seem to have an ending. But before I go on for the second half of the parable, let me quickly refresh your memory of the first half of the parable, which focuses on the relationship between the father and his youngest son. But before I do that, is there something wrong with my... Should I move it up or what? Is it okay? You guys hearing okay? All right, okay. If you remember the reason that Jesus told this parable is to respond to the accusation of the scribes and the Pharisees. They accused Jesus that he welcomes sinners and eats with them. So for Jews eating together is a is a is a close to a sacramental act. It signifies total acceptance to all parties At the table. So, for the scribes and the Pharisees who consider themselves as the spiritual protectors of Israel, they automatically think that Jesus' action of eating with sinners has shamed the sacred dignity of Israel's law and the holy name of Yahweh, Israel's God. So, under this serious accusation, Jesus told a series of three parables to paint a correct portrait of the holy God whose reputation the scribes and the Pharisees were so zealous to protect. These three parables are the lost sheep, the lost coin, and also the lost sons. And I emphasize the plural form of it, sons, two sons. In the first half of the parable of the lost sons, otherwise known as the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son can't wait until his father dies. So he shamefully asked his father to give him his share of the estate as if his father has already died. And, incredibly and unbelievably, his father granted his request. Then he went to a far country and lost all his money there. In his most desperate moment, an idea came to mind that he might be able to go back home and avoid the hostility from the villagers and maybe from his father as well. The prodigal believed that he would never be able to be his father's son again. So his self-saving plan is to work as a hired servant of his father and then save some money and repay he has to his father. So on his way home, he has prepared a speech which consists of three main components. These three components listed here, the first one in yellow, it says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And this is a confession of sin. He admits that he has sinned. Second part, the blue one, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is an acceptance of consequence. He has sinned, so he accepts the consequence that he is wrong. Now the third part, the the red part, is the most significant part, which is the core of the prodigal's plan, his plan of self-survival. Make me like one of your hired servants. With this speech well-drafted, the prodigal was on his way home. Then, when the prodigal was approaching the village gate, his father saw him from a distance in order to prevent the son from the hostile attacks from the angry villagers. This father was willing to take on the shame and humiliation. He ran and then he threw his arms around his son and kissed this returning son. And because of experiencing such costly demonstration of love and grace, this younger son, he finally repented. He changed his well-drafted speech and deleted the last part of it, which is his self-saving plan to become the hired servant of his father. Now the father is very happy. The father is very joyful. And then he decided to celebrate with the whole village by killing a fattened Calf Party time Well The first half of the story Ended in a very joyous And cheerful manner Who would expect That a bigger And deeper conflict Is hidden behind All these joys Who would expect That this joyful Ending of the first half of the story Only unveils A potential murder in the second half of the story. Now, the second half of the story begins like this. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field, probably shepherding the flock, the sheep. When he came home, came near this house, the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? At this point, the eldest son finally makes his appearance on the stage. In the original Greek, the word for elder, for the eldest son, is presbyteros, which means elder, literally. That's where the word for Presbyterian Church comes from. In Jesus' time, the word presbyteros was mostly associated with the scribes. So it is very, very clear, very apparent that the eldest son in this this parable is referring to the scribes and the Pharisees. And these people are the target audience of Jesus' parable. Now here, let's understand who really were the scribes and the Pharisees. They are both considered the religious leaders and teachers of the Mosaic law of the Jewish society in Jesus' time. They had dedicated themselves to follow strictly the Mosaic Law and the other 613 Jewish laws that were derived from it. Although in the Gospel, these people, the scribes and the Pharisees, received rather bad perception and reputation, we should not discount them altogether just yet. The scribes and the Pharisees, they had very noble motivation. They wanted and strived to be holy, They even wanted and strived to help the nation to be holy. Their problem might not be their motivation, but their definition of holiness. To them, holiness means conforming to a set of rules. Humans can achieve holiness by abiding to the literal meaning of the laws. But unfortunately, this is fatally wrong. Holiness cannot be achieved through performance. Holiness can only be achieved through relationship. A right relationship with the Holy One. Such relationship does not come from a master, servant, like a performance for reward kind of relationship. No, but a father, son, a grace and love kind of relationship. The scribes and the Pharisees, they had a goal, which was to protect the sacred dignity of the Israel laws and therefore to protect the holy reputation of Israel's God. And to them, this Jesus, by welcoming and eating with sinners, has greatly shamed the name of Yahweh, the Israel's God. If they allow Jesus to continue doing what he is doing, it would mean... That they are allowing him to continue to shame the name of God. And thus, it will jeopardize the blessing which this nation of Israel is supposed to receive. Therefore, the scribes and the Pharisees, they thought they are obligated to diminish or even destroy this movement that was started by Jesus. The best way to do this is to destroy the credibility of Jesus so they are launching a full-blown attack to discredit Jesus' spiritual authority and credibility. So the eldest son of the story is representing this group of religious leaders who have misunderstood the will of Israel's God but still insisted on their own point of view to a point where they are willing to overcome or subdue the incarnate Messiah. The Son of God. And this story quickly reveals that the state, the internal state of mind of the elder son. And we can see it is extremely resentful and jealous. When knowing there is a sound of joy and celebration from his home, a normal son would likely feel excited and would want to go back as soon as possible to be part of it. But the first reaction. Of the elder son is not enthusiasm or excitement, but suspicion or skepticism. Suspicion or skepticism is the reaction of a resentful heart, especially towards those people whom we resent. Because of his suspicion, the elder son just grabs a kid nearby and asked him, What is going on? The word servant here should be translated as kid and this kid is likely a child of, of the of uh, the sons father's guest the elder sons father's guest the kid replies can we? oops can you oh here yeah, oops <laughs> too much and he replies your brother has come he replied and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. This kid tells the elder son the thing that he least wanted to hear. His brother, who has shamed the father and the entire family, is now back. But what strikes the elder son the most is that this younger brother has returned safe and sound. Oh, heaven! Safe and sound? This is definitely no justice. But the elder son is most angry, not with heaven, but with his father, because of the term safe and sound. The Greek, the Greek word for safe and sound is one word. And this word was used to translate the Hebrew word shalom in the Old Testament. And shalom means wholeness, means completeness. Part of shalom refers to peace, but also part of it refers to relationship, restoration or reconciliation. His younger brother has returned home, shalom. Are you kidding? He just came back, and he is already restored, reconciled with the father. Really? It would have been believably nice enough to just not punish him. But now, a village wide celebration with a fattened calf killed? This is totally unacceptable, unimaginable to the elder son. So, the scripture goes on saying the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Now you need to take note since the father killed a fattened calf, which is a big animal, the feast will likely include 70 to 80 adult guests. And this likely the number of adults in the entire village. So this is something that's very rarely happened in a village like this. In such a rare and significant event of, this, of his father, the elder son now refuses to go in. In the Middle Eastern society, a son refusing to enter into a feast hosted by the father signifies an extreme, extremely strong accusation and insult to the father. The elder son, who has always seemed to care so much about the father's and the family's reputation, now shames his father. But not just the father. He also shames all the guests as well because this is his own family's banquet and he refuses to go in. You might wonder, well, if this is such a big deal, come on. Nowadays, in our world, many children would skip family's banquet intentionally without being judged as insulting or shameful anyway. Why? Okay, this is so shameful. Well, this may be true to us, but definitely not the case for ancient Jews. To them, the wife and children must be present in a banquet hosted by the father in order to show respect to him and the guest. No matter how unwilling they are, they are just obligated to attend. In the Old Testament, there is a similar account. In the book of Esther, chapter 1, the king of Persia, Xerxes, he was hosting a banquet in his palace, but his Queen Vashti refused to be present. The scripture records that her action was seen as despising her husband and will cause unending disrespect and discord. King Sersus became furious and burned with anger and he decreed that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of himself and her royal position is given to someone else, which... Later, turn turned out to be Esther. And also, about 300 AD, there was a popular story being spread in, the, in many Middle Eastern societies, uh, which can give us a pretty good understanding of this cultural background. So I'll tell you the story now. The story goes like this. In the kingdom of Marib, which is now part of Yemen, The agriculture was sustained by a great dam. One of the local leaders discovered that the dam would break before the public had any suspicions about its condition. So knowing that a general announcement will destroy all property values, and and, and this leader, he is anxious to sell his lands at a good price, he then came up with a very clever but wicked idea he invited the major leaders of the city to a banquet at his home and he arranged for his eldest son to insult him with the guest present. So at the banquet, when the elder son deliberately argued with him and thus shamed him, he vowed that he would have to kill his son. But the guest remonstrated where then the father insisted that if he could not kill his son, then at least he would not stay in the city where he had been insulted publicly by his son before his guest. He proceeded to sell all his properties at a very good price, and when later the damp condition was discovered, he had left the city already with his great wealth. Now from this story, we can see that in a banquet hosted by, a fa- by the father, If the son gets into conflict with the father, with the guest present, it is culturally shameful and extremely intolerable. The eldest son in Jesus' parable, who has always seen himself as the protector of the family's reputation, has now shamed his father in such a significant occasion of his family. And under this circumstance, everyone at that time would expect the father to be like King circus to become furious, burn in anger, and then punish this self-inflated and disrespectful son right away. But, just like how he treated the younger son earlier on the same day, the way the father deals with the elder son is also incredible and unbelievable. The scripture goes on. So, the father went out and pleaded with him. For the second time on the same day, this father, unbelievably, he left the comfort and honor of being at home, threw away the dignity of being the head of the household. He once again took on humility in order to seek and find his lost son. This father came out from home who, and, and was not because he wanted to bring judgment or punishment to this shameful son. But instead he wants to, to restore this father-son relationship with self-sacrificial love. And earlier in the day when the father extended the same love to the younger son, we remember, right? The, son, the younger son's reaction was very favorable. His heart melted. And he repented. He did not insist on becoming a hired servant. And he gave up his self-saving plan. He then turned himself into the unconditional acceptance of the father. Now, this father is extending the same love to the elder son. What would be his reaction? The scripture goes on and tells us this elder son's reaction. But he, the elder son, answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him? Do you see this? The reaction of the elder son was totally opposite to, the, to his younger brothers. The elder son further hardened his heart. Not even that he did not repent. He further shamed his father by continuing to accuse him. Now, we have to pay attention on how he called his father. But technically, he did not call his father. There's no title. <coughs> There's no title of honor there. He just said, Look. Omitting the title was already a very shameful act. But the elder son further shamed his father by telling him to look. Look what? He wanted his father to look at how unfair, how biased he is as a father. Notice that this is the last sentence, last thing the elder son said in the story. And within that, we can learn what he is really thinking and what he is really desiring. First he said, all these years I have been slaving for you. Do you remember? Do you remember that the youngest son's self-saving plan? Make me one of your hired servants. The younger son thought he could get into good standing with his father by working and earning. But then he realized that it is all a matter of grace and love. Now, what a tragedy with the eldest son. He had been living the third part, the last part, the core of the prodigal speech all his life. He always sees himself a slave, a servant, instead of a son. He always sees his father as a master, instead of a father. Father-son relationship became a performance-reward relationship. This is why the elder son was so angry to a point where he dared to shame his father publicly. For a self-righteous person like the elder son, he would not be able to see his own problem. He would only insist that all he has done was righteous. That's why even after shaming his father, his family, and all the guests publicly, he could still say that he has never disobeyed his father's order. Come on. Can anyone get more blind than this? And the difference between the younger son and the elder son is that the younger son was a rebel and he knew it. The elder son was also a rebel and he did not know it. self Righteous people would so often see how he is being mistreated. Thus, the elder son complained to his father, Yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? Now here I want to reverse the sequence and talk about verse 30, the elder son's accusation against his younger brother first. Then I'll go back to 29. He accused his brother that he has squandered the property with prostitutes. I said it last time. The scripture did not say, nor even imply that the prodigal lost all his his estates in eating, drinking or prostitutes. It's likely that he lent most of his money to other people in a very generous way and he was never able to recover, to collect the money back. The elder brother's accusation was not based on fact, but only assumption. He did not even know that his father has returned before the kid told him. So how was it possible that the elder son could have any idea how the prodigal lost his money? There's no way. Then why did the elder son say this? But well, first, when there is a bias, it's easy, it's so easy to demonize the person you resent. We would try to convince ourselves in all possible ways that he or she is evil, is bad. I think this is the same for the elder son. But there's a second reason why the elder son said this. He wanted his younger brother killed. You may not know that this is his intention. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they would know right away because they are familiar with the Mosaic law. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 20 and 21, there is a law which states that they shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a, drinker, a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. Then you must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear it and be afraid. This is the law. The eldest son wanted to use this law together with his own assumption and judgment to condemn his younger brother to death. He thinks that if he is to protect the name and reputation of the family, this prodigal brother has to die. But, if you think that this is cruel enough, well, that's not it. That's more. The elder son did not just want, just want his brother die. He also wanted his father die. In verse 29, he said to his father, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Well, here we need to first understand when the youngest son asked for his share of estate, the youngest son, the scripture said that. So, he, the father, divided his property between them. Do you see? Between them. Who are them? Including the elder son. In other words, the father has already given the ownership of the remaining two-thirds of the estate to the elder son. The whole estate has already been given to him. Why then? He was complaining about not giving him a goat. Come on. All the money is yours. You're complaining about a goat? Well, well, this has something to do with the estate law of the ancient Jewish society. Through understanding this estate law, we were then able to really understand what this elder son is desiring. The Jewish estate law specified that inheritance of a family estate must go through two steps. First is the receiving of the right of possession second is the receiving of the right of disposition selling Jewish fathers normally would give during their lifetime the right of possession of the family estate to the sons when the sons received the right of possession they would have assumed ownership to the properties however the sons still cannot sell any of the properties for cash because the right of possession of the estate still rests in the hands of the fathers. They have to wait until the fathers die to receive the right of disposition. Under this cultural con- context, we can deduce with reasonable accuracy the intention of the eldest son. Do you remember what the younger son, when the youngest son asked for his share of estate from his father? He was literally meaning that he cannot wait for his father's death. In verse 29, the elder son actually complained that he did not have the right to cash in the family estate for his own enjoyment. He is, his meaning is as clear as it can get. He wanted to assume the right of disposition as soon as possible. In other words, He also, he cannot wait his father to die. He wants his father to die as soon as possible. He's been waiting for such day that he can assume all authority and under no one's control. Well, facing such a son, how would the father respond? a typical Middle Eastern father would definitely beat him up. Or a typical Chinese father would also do that. And then pull him inside the house and lock him up. But what good would it do? The scripture goes on with the father's response. My son, literally, my child, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Ownership has been transferred. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, remember the son, the eldest son called the son of yours. And the father said, this is a brother of yours. He was dead and now alive again. He was lost and is found. The father once again, acted incredibly and unbelievably. He came out to plead with the elder son with love and grace. He still wanted to restore the son who, although he never left, was still very, very lost. The father, once again, willing to bear all humiliation and shame in order to seek and find his son. What the elder son could not tolerate was that his father welcomed sinners, as in his younger brother, and ate with them, as in killing a fattened calf. You see this? This is exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were accusing Jesus of. You see this? The elder son's hatred and resentment towards his younger brother eventually leads to a broken relationship. With his father. It's the same for all of us, brothers and sisters. If anyone hates, resents our own brothers and sisters in God's family, you know, that's impossible for he or she to maintain a healthy relationship with our God. Do you agree with me on this? I know. This, is, this parable is very hard for me. But I don't know if you feel the same way. I, I always find this parable very difficult. Because it does not seem to have any closure, any conclusion with the story. I hate reading a story with no ending. I don't know if you would feel the same way. We are not told what the elder son would do in response to the incredible and unbelievable love of his father. How should this story end? According to Dr. Kenneth Bailey, a theologian who spent over 30 years serving in the Middle East, there are really only two possible endings in light of the cultural context. First, the first possible ending is that the elder son is finally touched by his father's love. He humbles himself, and just like his younger brother, He realized how much he has hurt his father, so he repents and confesses. And hallelujah, he finally be willing to enter the banquet with joy. you think that's too good to be true? Unfortunately, I think most of us do not think this ending is very likely. So, the second possible ending. The second possible ending, we will see the elder son further harden his heart. He now sees that both his younger brother and his father have shamed the reputation of the family. So now being the eldest son, or maybe even the only son, the second in command of the household, he now decides that he must vindicate the name of the family. Dr. Bailey carefully speculates that is this not how this story ends? That in great anger, the elder son took his staff and beat his father to death? I've heard a missionary pastor who once served in a tribal group in Philippines. That once he was teaching this parable to a group of tribal leaders and he asked the young head elder how this parable will end or what will the elders do if it happens in the tribe. The young head elder appeared to struggle a great time in trying to give him an answer. The missionary pushed further, and insisted this elder to answer. And after much struggle, this young elder same took his stake and said the elder son would beat his father to death. Is this not what the scribes and Pharisees ended up doing? They cannot accept they cannot tolerate Jesus' portrait of the Father God who is portrayed as welcoming sinners and eating with them. So in the name of holiness, did they not kill the Holy One's self-manifestation? The accusation, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, quickly led to the cruel cry of crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. And at the end, they nailed the incarnation of the Father's love on the cross. But then, on the cross, at Calvary, One more time, an incredible and unbelievable cry of love. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing.